Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, January 10th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The college football season is over, and not a moment too soon after Georgia's 65-7 victory over TCU in the college football playoff national championship game. That's right, 65-7. It was a magnificent performance by the Bulldogs in winning their second straight national title and third in program history, and a debacle for the Horned Frogs. On today's show, beat writer Kellis Robinette and I compare notes on when we turn the game off, but also we get into George's dominance and how there's no end in sight for the SEC ruling the sport. More news was made before the game. The College Football Hall of Fame inducted its next class, and what a lineup. Among others going in, Kansas State quarterback Michael Bishop, Missouri wide receiver Jeremy Macklin. Other ex-Chiefs joining Macklin in the hall are linebacker Derek Johnson, who played at Texas, and safety Eric Berry, the former Tennessee star. After a break, we share part of a recent interview with Tulane coach Willie Fritz. His green wave produced perhaps the most dramatic bowl finish, coming from 15 down in the final four and a half minutes to beat Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl. Fritz is well known in Kansas City. He went to Shawnee Mission Northwest, played at Pitt State, and spent 13 seasons as the head coach at Central Missouri. Okay, we got a lot to get to. Let's get started. So, Kellis, when did you turn off the college football playoff national championship game? Uh, that's really the only question there is to ask after that debacle last night. I believe I turned it off when it was 30, no, 20. 20s, whatever Georgia was at 20s, gotten up in the 20s, and they were averaging like 15 yards of play. Um, my kids were begging to watch cartoons before they went to bed, and I was like, I had no reason to t- tell them no at that point. I was like, <laughs> all right, fine. Cartoons sound better than this. So I did briefly uh, turn it on after halftime just to see what was happening, and it was just the slaughter kept going. So then after that, I turned out what my wife wanted to watch on TV. So what was supposed to be a nice farewell to the college football season for me, last game of the year, I got all of maybe 15 minutes in, in before I had to bail. It was uh, disappointing, but you know what? Georgia, when they come to play, they do that to just about everybody, and they sure did it to DCU. Yeah, they did. I um, my, my exit point was when Stetson Bennett ran for his second touchdown. It was about a five-yard run, went to the left. And there was no TCU defender in the in the picture, <clears throat> so I said, "Okay, this is this is what we're going to get um, effort wise." And listen, I'm, I can't question the effort, but it was such a horrible moment for TCU that, I, and I did the same thing. My wife and I switched to Jack Ryan, and highly recommended series, by the way. And then when I switched it back in the second half, I noticed it was c- continuing to spiral out of control for the Horn Frogs. So, you know. I saw Georgia play this year, and my impression of the Bulldogs was a little different than a lot of others. I saw them play at Missouri, and and the Bulldogs trailed almost the entire game. You know, when we talk about transitive properties of of college football, here is here's a Georgia team that just scraped by a Missouri team that got destroyed by Kansas State, and. This goes to prove how crazy that game can be, the, the college football can be sometimes. Well, that's what made it a difficult game for me to uh, really consider betting on. I very regrettably eventually bet on TCU with the points because it crept up so high. I thought, oh, man, you know, TCU, they never quit. 
backdoor cover. They'll be losing the whole game and find a way to lose by, you know, 13. That sounds good. Now, um, but the reason I thought that is because exactly what you're saying. When Georgia shows up, you know, they beat Oregon by 46. They beat South Carolina by 41. Um, they beat LSU in the, in the SEC championship game by 20. They beat TCU by a million. When they show up, no one can touch them. I mean, maybe Alabama at their best, maybe Ohio State at their best. Otherwise, it's not even close. But but when they don't bring their best, we saw them sleepwalk their way against Missouri, only, only win by four. I mean, shoot, if I'm the Tigers, I might think about hanging a banner after that one. <laughs> closest, closest game against Georgia all year. I mean, but I, I, they were a hard, they were a weird team all year. Like, if you really love Georgia, they did, they couldn't cover at home against Samford. They couldn't cover at home against Kent State. These games were like two touchdown games against Samford and Kent State. It's like, what? So you knew when they didn't care, you know, the, the games could be close. They had trouble with Georgia Tech late in the season, only beat Kentucky by 10. I'm looking at their schedule here. Really not all that impressive every week, but, man, when they brought it, when they cared, they made Tennessee look like an FCS team. TCU looked like a D2 team. Oregon looked like a high school team. Um, I always laugh at people when they, you know, say, oh, Georgia could beat, you know, the Texans or something. I think that's ridiculous. But I don't know. Maybe if they play that good, maybe they could compete for a half or something. Meanwhile, they're playing a TCU team that was – they were the comeback kings this year. They – it's like – no deficit too big for them, and they found a way to make it work. Their, I think their signature moment of the season was the the game against Baylor at Waco where they rushed their field goal unit on at the very last second to kick the game winner to stay undefeated. And, you know, Chris Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet were selling us on that point as the margin was growing in the first half that TCU, you know, quite, a, quite a comeback team, but you could tell that, that it wasn't going to happen in this game. Not, not against this. No, no. And, you know, I bought into it. I thought they were a team of destiny, too. I never thought they'd really beat Georgia, but I thought they'd give them a game. Uh, I mean, they looked pretty good against Michigan, but in hindsight, maybe it's just because they had two pick sixes that uh, they were with that game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in the Big 12, you can't ask for a better Cinderella story. Coming into the year, they were, uh, you know, they weren't picked last in the Big 12, but they were not picked at the top either. I think they were the preseason seventh, seventh team coming into the end of the year. So to win all the games they did, to be the first Big 12 team to make the the S, uh, the college football playoff championship game, heck of an accomplishment for them. I uh, I, I cracked up at uh, somebody made a meme about um, comparing uh, TCU getting into the Big 12 championship game like the movie uh, uh, Legally Blonde, where the, the guy asks uh, Reese Witherspoon, you got into Harvard and it's OU. <laughs> Hard, and that's TCU getting to the, the championship game. So it can be possible. It shows you what, uh, you know, what's out there for Big 12 teams, especially as they expand the playoff. Anything can happen. You can make some noise, have a nice run here. The one thing that watching that game last night and watching the Sugar Bowl taught me, though, is there's still quite a gap between the best Big 12 teams and the best SEC teams. I'm not saying that the SEC overall is better than the Big 12. I think once you get past the extreme upper echelon of Bama and Georgia, they're pretty even. But man, those two teams at the top, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what anybody else in college football can do to uh, catch them without some type of, you know, NF, NFL-style draft every year where the bad teams get the, the first picks. And right. That's not how it works in college. The best teams get the best picks. I can remember uh, at a when the SEC started rolling and winning national championships, this was about, I don't know, 15, between 15 and 20 years ago, 
I can remember I was at an SEC media day and I asked Steve Spurrier, he was the coach of South Carolina at the time. I remember asking him, can you see any scenario where now that the very best athletes, football athletes, people that play football year round in high school are staying in the area in which they live, you know, Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, and not going to colleges in the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12, is there any scenario where the SEC, you know, st- you know falls back a little bit and, and isn't dominant? And he just shook his head and said, nope. <laughs> and you know what? He, he was right. The train has left the station, had left the station then, and it continues to roll. You know, <clears throat> that's what's happening. I, there, there's not going to be any parity in college football. I'm, I'm convinced of that. They're not as long as the best. And, and I, when I say the best players, I mean, speed at skill positions and strength and size on the, on the lines, especially on the defensive line. Mike Dundee said that one time, that biggest difference between the Big 12 and, and the SEC were defensive linemen. He said when, when, when the Cowboys were recruiting a defensive lineman and he started to get really good, SEC teams would swoop in and start recruiting him and Oklahoma State wouldn't have a chance anymore. So hmm. – um, that's where the difference is. It's it's at the it's at the speed at skill positions, and that's kind of a recent development. Why SEC being a great wide receiver conference, <clears throat> but the strength in the interior, that's just you can't duplicate that anywhere else. And that's that's why it's going to be so difficult for uh, teams to break through against the SEC, Georgia, Alabama, and we've seen in you know LSU was a super team a couple you know a few years ago with Joe Burrow, um, you know. Florida has been, you know, a national championship team, but you're right. Those two, Georgia and Alabama, it's just kind of unfair for the rest of college football to see those guys dominate like this. Yeah, and the, the other thing that's made it, I think, even that's compounded matters for everybody else is at least, you know, up until 10 years ago or so, maybe even more recently, at least in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, you had teams like, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, USC that had some high-flying offenses that you wouldn't find. In the SEC, yeah, Bama would come in, but they'd have, you know, some stiff at quarterback. Even last night, Stetson Bennett, I know he looked amazing, but, I, you know, he wouldn't be in my top 15 quarterbacks I'd want at the next level. I'd, I'd probably want right. Max Duggan more than Stetson Bennett. Um, but they're, they're opening up their offense. They're throwing to their tight ends. They're throwing, like you said, to wide receivers. Um, I mean, shoot, Georgia scored 65 last night. You know, it's not – it's not like the old days were only, you know, where it was this amazing Big 12 offense versus great SEC defense. Now it's the SEC's got the offense to go along with it, too. I think, uh, you know, Nick Saban kind of realizing that he had to retool some things changed a lot in that area. And Ole, Ole Miss is that way now with Lane Kiffin, LSU. I mean, we saw that when, when they won their title, they were high flying offense. Um, and yeah, it, it makes it even harder. And I, I think I saw the stat last night that really kind of opened my eyes was Georgia did all this with uh, only one incoming transfer on their entire roster, which uh, is kind of the anti what everybody else is doing. You know, in the Big 12, you're trying to get guys from the SEC to come here and, uh, and play in, in Georgia and Alabama. They're just recruiting a bunch of five star guys and winning with the, the people they get in their own backyard. And whew, yeah, last night was kind of a uh, rude rude wake-up call for anybody who thought, you know, the gap was closing. Hopefully we'll get some some better championship games down the line. And I guess the one thing I would be interested to see is how much differently do you think it would have been had Ohio State made that field goal against Georgia? 
Or, I think TCU Ohio State would have been a much closer game. Right. Yeah. If, if you're right, if Ohio State makes the game winner at the end, or if Kirby Smart doesn't take what I call the greatest timeout in college football history, to basically he had uh, the, the press box coach had sniffed out a, a fake punt that Ohio mm-hmm. State was going to pick up a first down on. They they, they made you know the, the play ran, but uh, but later was determined that Ohio or Georgia had called timeout. Ohio State got a first down that would have salted the game away. Um, and and uh, but they but Georgia got the timeout. They stopped Ohio State, had to punt, and that led to the you know continued the the Georgia comeback in that game. But that's a good point, Kellis. That Ohio State had this team beat, and I absolutely am convinced that especially after what the game that TCU played against Michigan, that uh, TCU Ohio State would have been a much more competitive game than what what we saw on Monday night. So, yeah, well, uh, moving in the future, once we do get the playoff, you know, hopefully there's some years where that happens and Georgia and Alabama aren't in the title game. And we get a we get a game where it's, you know, two Cinderella's like we see in basketball sometimes. Yeah, I think I think the expanded playoff is only going to reinforce the SEC as they're going to, you know, there'll be five teams out of the 12 and they'll be be playing each other for the national championship more often than not. And uh, especially just, with Texas and OU moving in there. Right, uh, right. Exactly. Okay. So, but before the game was over, I, I, you know, true confession, I did my final AP top 25 during the game um, as it became a route um, and had Georgia number one before it was over. But um, what did you, where'd you have Kansas state in your final top 25? You know, I, uh, I put them in number nine. I wow. left them in the top yeah. 10. Even though they didn't look so good against Bama, my thinking is most teams would not have looked good against Bama in that setting, the way they got rolling. So I didn't really penalize them for that. I had to do that with a couple teams. Bowl games are just I, – I stayed pretty close to where I had them at the end of the regular season. Bowl games anymore, when, when you got all these opt-outs and stuff, it's like, you know, do I really want to penalize Texas for losing to Washington without all their best players? Not really. Don't want to penalize Kansas State for losing, you know, for running into a meat grinder against Alabama. Not really. Um, but I, I saw they ended up 14, which is, you know, pretty good season for them. First time they've been uh, ranked in the final top 25 since Jake Waters was quarterback here in 2013, 2014. So good season for them. But, yeah, I had him at nine. Where did you live? Well, I think I had him at 14. If not 14, then I had him at 15. My, my problem was I, I agree with you that the bowl – the bowls have changed. If you're not playing in the um, in the highest profile games or in the college football, uh, the semifinals, uh, you, chances are your roster has been greatly diminished, and and it's really difficult to uh, to evaluate someone liking these college bowl games now to football friendlies. I like that description. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, that, but, that's highly, yeah. But what I didn't know what to do with. The Pac-12 teams were difficult to for me to judge. Uh, Oregon, Oregon State, um, both I thought finished so strong this year and had good bowl wins, bowl victories. I, I awarded them. Well, after I got through like eight or nine, I think after I got through, I think I had wa- Washington at eight, Penn State at seven, and then maybe I forgot who I. I think or I pushed Oregon State up to nine. Then I had a really hard time over the next ten or so what to do with them, how to factor in the bowls. You know, you, LSU beat the bejesus out of Purdue in its bowl game, but I right. didn't. I don't think I gave them a big a bounce for that. Um, but, I, but, but then, and then the other, to me, the other challenge was 
um, 20 through 25, who, who's, who leaves, who enters. And um, I think I had, I think I put Texas tech in my final poll. So um, that, that, that's probably one that I had, I thought a lot about and, and how to, how, how to evaluate tech. Yeah. I thought about the Raiders for one of my last spots. Um, in hindsight, maybe I should have slipped them in there. They came on really strong at the uh, end of the season and, um, honestly, if they'd have just won one more game in the Big 12, they would have been in the Big 12 championship game instead of, instead of Kansas State. So they were pretty close. Um, some surprises I had, something I never dreamed I would do. I had Tulane at number eight. Yeah, how about overall. that? Uh, when I, I still couldn't really believe my eyes when they came in here and beat Kansas State. I kind of thought that was fluky. But uh, there was no fluke about Willie Fritz and that team, 12 and 2 beat Kansas State, beat USC, beat, uh, you know, won the a AAC. I had to throw them in there. Um, and I had to have them in front of Kansas State. They came in one here. So <laughs> at Kansas State at nine, had to have Tulane at eight. So good good job to the Green Wave. Love the uniform. It's a great year for them. The teams I had a lot of trouble ranking were like USC, you know. They were on the cusp of the playoff, but then they just don't really look good at the end of the season. I think I had them at uh, 12 in Clemson. I just – yeah. I don't know what. Yeah. I mean, they won 11 games, but like, who did they really beat? Um, they didn't show up at all in the bowl. I don't know. I had them at 13, but I, I dropped them. Actually, they were one team I did drop after the bowls. I just was not impressed with what they did this season. And the, the ACO, ACC overall, you know, just not that great. Florida State was probably the best team, but they just lost too many games early. I don't know. Just yuck. The, the one game I did, the one team I did, uh, reward was Troy. Troy yeah. had him up at 19. Very impressed with Troy. And, um, you know, Kansas State might regret this, but they scheduled them. They're coming to Manhattan next season. That is going to be, who you thought Tulane was tough. Uh, Troy, Troy might be even better next season. Those Sunbelt teams, baby. I love, love my Sunbelt. Um, uh, and speaking of Tulane and Willie Fritz, after you and I are done talking, Kellis, we're going to take a little break. And Willie Fritz, uh, you'll hear from Willie. I got to talk with him a little bit last week about uh, catching up with him, Kansas City, and, and uh, incredible bowl victory for Tulane, uh, beating Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl, coming down from 15 with four and a half minutes to go. And uh, he called it the greatest victory in Tulane history. And I think he's right. So, um, yeah, after we finish Gavin, you'll hear from Willie Fritz. But, hey, other piece of news, and this happened before the game uh, kicked off on Monday, announcement of the College Football Hall of Fame. And it was, uh, you know, the the release came with all the names listed. But before that happened, schools were announcing it themselves who all was going in. So, you know, you got a, a Kansas State announcement and, I, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. I call it up and there it is. Michael Bishop in the College Football Hall of Fame. Same thing with Missouri, with Jeremy Mackland and so on and so forth. So um, great to see. This is a topic you and I've talked about for, for several years and um, didn't get in on his first ballot, but he's in. And that's all that counts. And he is so deserving I, in fact, I, part of my conversation that with Willie Fritz that you won't hear um, because it happened late and we had to edit it out, but he coached Michael Bishop in junior college. He was he was That's Michael right. Bishop's blend coach, and we were talking about what what needed to happen to get Michael Bishop into the College Football Hall of Fame. And a few days later, here he is. So, um, what uh, what did you make of the news? And um, and how deserving is Michael Bishop? 
I mean, really, all I can say is it's about time. Um, he's he's deserving. He had been on that ballot for so long. Um, you know, I was worried he would run out of eligibility before they finally decided, wised up and put him in. And every year that goes by, it gets harder because, you know, I, I saw Michael Bishop play when I was a teenager living in Austin, Texas at the time. I could not have cared at all about Kansas State. Um, but, you know, people even older, you know, even younger than me now are going to be voting for these things. They're going to say, you know, Bishop who barely played in the NFL or whatever, but you go back and look at what he did at Kansas state. I mean, I, I think he's still, I'll say arguably the best quarterback in Kansas state history, but you could probably remove arguably uh, what he did in just two seasons was, uh, you know, if he stretched it over four years, nobody else could touch it, put up crazy numbers, led Kansas state to 22 wins had the best regular season in school history, 1998, when they went undefeated and almost made the, the BCS championship game. Only a double overtime loss to Texas A&M spoiled it. But just think of the things he did. Uh, he was so athletic that he came into Kansas State late from Blinn Junior College, basically hardly practiced with the team, and literally just walked onto the team and won the starting job like on the first day of practice. Uh, didn't even need to look at the playbook or anything, kind of like Baker Mayfield just walking off, off the street to lead the Rams uh, to a win over the Raiders. You know, it was like that, except that Bishop made things look a lot better uh, than Mayfield did in that game. And, um, you know, Bill Snyder, I know he was really trumpeting uh, Bishop to get in. And, um, you know, I, I think if if Darren Sproles uh, can get in, you know, first first ballot, um, I think Michael Bishop belongs in there. And uh, congrats to him. He, he earned it one of the best players in Kansas State history, Heisman finalist, won the Davey O'Brien Award, one of the best players in Big 8 history. Um, I, I'm just glad he got in. Yeah, I tell you what, his his highlight reel, uh, go to YouTube and just punch in Michael Bishop, Kansas State highlights. It's it's remarkable. Um, he, he was doing things that I had. He was, he was one of the first uh, great dual-threat quarterbacks I think he was Vince Young before Vince Young. Um, and the other thing, there's this one play, it must have been against a non-conference opponent that I, I remember, I remembered seeing it. And then I, 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 re, I relive it on this highlight reel clip. I've never seen a play like it where he not only shakes off a sack, he goes 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage uh, and then throws against his body for about 70 yards on a ball that gets tipped up and caught by the Kansas State receiver just short of the goal line. But I've, ne- I've, ne- I've never seen anybody do anything like that. It's it's amazing, that play. It's made one of the single greatest plays I've ever seen a quarterback make. And, um, and But that's that's what he did. That's who he was. Was it Donovan McNabb, the, the Syracuse quarterback he beat in the Fiesta Bowl uh, that year? And you know, McNabb goes on to a, a you know terrific career in the NFL, but Bishop did not, as you mentioned, and and um, that's you know I'll always be a, maybe just wrong place at the wrong time when it came to his, to an NFL career, but amazing, amazing college career for for Michael Bishop. Yeah, and you and you make a great point there. I think him being ahead of his time probably is the main reason it took him so long. People maybe don't appreciate looking back the kind of trendsetter he was. You know, um, people call it the, the Wildcat quarterback package pretty much because of what Bill Snyder and Michael Bishop did. You hike it to the quarterback. He runs with it. You get all the defenders in there. It's much harder to block. And uh, on top of that, you can still throw. So he was really the first guy to do that. And uh, he was, yeah, back then, 
think about the quarterbacks who are in the NFL, guys like Drew Bledsoe, people, uh, Joe Montana, you know, great quarterbacks, but not mobile at all. Statues in the, in the pocket. Bishop was one of the first guys to really be mobile and run and everything. And he, uh, not, I mean, for all of college football, but just for Kansas state, look at the quarterbacks who came after him. All the guys who El Roberson, uh, all the, all the guys who came in and were great dual threat quarterbacks behind him. Um, yeah. Yeah, Big Colin, trendsetter. Colin Klein was that guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also on the on the list, uh, class of 2023, <clears throat> a trio of ex-chiefs, Jeremy Macklin from Missouri, is among them. Macklin, uh, two years, like Bishop at Kansas State, Macklin was two years at Missouri as a wide receiver and kick returner, and he was amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, Missouri went – 22, I think it was 22 and six in his two years, won the big 12 North both times. And, uh, and Macklin was a kind of a man among boys when it came to his position. He was so much fun to watch. It was a big recruiting coup for the Tigers to get home state guy from St. Louis. Wasn't always guaranteed the St. Louis guys were going to go to Missouri, but, uh, but Jeremy Macklin did and was one of the all time greats. That's one thing that we're seeing with this college hall of fame now Players that have only been players that were there for only two years are now getting in. There used to be something of a little resistance to two-year players, but um, but those that went through the junior college ranks, like like uh, Michael Bishop, or those who stayed for only a couple of years, like uh, like Jeremy Macklin, are now finding their way into the, the Hall of Fame. Macklin, of course, redshirted one year. Um, uh, also, how about Derek Johnson and Eric Berry getting in? Derek Johnson, the great Texas linebacker, uh, 13 years with the Chiefs, and Eric Berry, the incredible safety, uh, also going from Tennessee, uh, was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 2015 uh, after battling um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, great to see those guys. We're going to have to find a way to get to the induction ceremony with all these good local players in it. Yeah, now you're talking. Yep. You're, you're just sniffing out a trip to Vegas. <laughs> That's exactly what it but is. But this this does sound like a good time to do it. Get uh, get Jeff Rosen on the phone. Yeah, I think good. heck, I think we can send half the staff there. There's something for every, everybody <laughs> at, uh, at at the induction ceremony. So, okay, uh, Callis, great conversation. So appreciative uh, of you uh, coming on today. And like I said, uh, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, you will hear from Willie Fritz, the Tulane coach. Uh, Kansas Cityan, uh, several years at uh, 13 years at Central Missouri, and uh, his Tulane team knocked off Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl last week. All right, Kellis, thanks a lot. Yeah, anytime, Blair. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. You know, it's it's the biggest, you know, win in Tulane history, football wise. And you know, the thing I was most proud of is, you know, we're a we're a small university. We've only got eight thousand full time students and uh, 
We had about 35,000 there at the game. And they were loud and proud throughout the game. And, and uh, so that was really neat. We were a national university and we got, heck, we had more incoming freshmen last year from Chicago than we did from New Orleans. You know, so we've, we've, we've got them all over the place. And so they, they traveled and came out and really supported us. And it was just a great experience. We've been to, you know, three different bowls since I've been here and, and they've been fantastic. But this one was, you know, on steroids. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. The kids enjoyed it. And of course they take great care of the cotton bowl. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. It was, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd heard that from people before, you know, before we went. You know, I, I, as a matter of fact, Archie Manning came out and spoke to our team and said, guys, this is the best bowl. He goes, we're going to really take care of you and, and you're going to enjoy the heck out of it. And, uh, yeah, he was right. He was exactly right. You know, and just just a, a thought on the game. Um, I, I look. I, I thought, you know, I thought you guys put up great fights. Um, a lot to be proud of. Um, and uh, and then the last few minutes happened. Uh, did you, you, there's always hope, right? Did you ever feel a sense of you know, resignation on the on the sideline? That uh, or what, what was the what was the thing that kept you guys going in the last few minutes? Well, the, the biggest, you know, the, the fortunate thing that happened is we really didn't get any breaks throughout the game. And, you know, we played really hard. You know, I don't know how great we played. We played better games than, than that. But kids kept fighting, playing hard the whole game. And then, you know, I went back and forth with uh, kicking it deep or, or onside kicking again. We tried a surprise onside kick. A little early in the game, it didn't work. And, uh, you know, the analytics told us, you know, 52% kick deep, 48% outside kick. So we kicked it deep and we got fortunate. The guy fumbled it out of bounds in the one, got that safety, and then we were cooking with grease. But it was, uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was, you know, when you're in the heat of the battle, you always think there's a chance. You know, someone told me that with, uh, oh, and they scored, I think, with uh, the chance. The last five years, and people have been down 15, four minutes ago, and one out of 1,692 <laughs> victories. And now it's two out of 1,693. So I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> right. Well, I yeah, but but even with uh, even with the mistake that USC made on the kick return, the defense still had to come up with a you know safety. I mean, you still needed to. The sequence of events to happen, the way that they happen to uh, to make that uh, improbable victory. So that's just, I, I to me, rarely do you get, you know, all three phases contributing so significantly in, in you know, in the biggest moment of, of the game. That's that's what was I thought was pretty cool about the whole thing. Well, I hadn't thought of that, but you're exactly right. You got kick return with the, you know, the guy fumbling out of bounds. You got defense with the safety and then. The offense running the clutch two minute drive, so you're you're exactly right. Um, I you know I, I the other cool thing of course was the um, you know you and and where you're from and the kind of the humble beginnings. Um, and, but I guess I want to talk about that. But, but first of all, the fact that your staff also now includes uh, you know nice little MIAA uh, representation. Uh, on the staff, of course, Central Missouri, of course, and uh, um, there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of hometown pride in, 
uh, in seeing what, what what you've accomplished and what this this team accomplished and and and, and, uh, and earlier this week, uh, what uh, um, what can you say about you know your the MIAA part of of your career and uh, and obviously had a great influence on you and your staff choices. Yeah, it did. You know, I also got Robbie Disher here, who's our special teams coordinator. And Robbie's from uh, North Kansas City High School and went to William Jewell, played football over William Jewell. So he's on our staff. And then, uh, you know, obviously uh, John McMiniman and Jim Sabota from uh, Central Missouri. And you know, my son's on staff. He was born in Coffeyville, Kansas and raised in Warrensburg. So he's, he knows that. So we, we've got a lot of I think most of my coaches started it. it uh, you know, they didn't really start on third base and think they hit a triple. So it's it, it's a lot of guys who kind of work their way up. And I've, I've always felt like you can work your way up. I don't know if you can go go back down, but uh, uh, it's just neat. It, it's just a uh, it was a heck of an atmosphere. It was a heck of a uh, uh, venue for us to play the ball game at. We really enjoyed it. It was uh, I think it was uh, special for all of us. You touched on something I wanted to I wanted to bring up, and that is, in in, in concert with I'm thinking about you know, Chris Kleiman and his background, and, and Lance Leipold and his background, and, and you of course you know with junior college and Division two and, uh, and and working your way up. You know there was there was a time um, when you guys who who had those backgrounds didn't really get an opportunity at, at the you know at the highest level of um, you know fbs and uh this i i just think it it says something about uh you know the the way things have changed a little bit with terms of opportunity if you keep you keep knocking on the door you keep winning that there, there can be opportunity for coaches that have been in you know juco division three division two etc there's a lot of good co- coaches out there at, at all different levels you know there's Ton of great high school coaches who could be in my shoes and D3, D2, D1, 1AA, Juco, you name it. And, uh, you know, I kind of come from a, a, a university, you know, with Pittsburgh State with, I got text messages from Dennis Franchione, Gary Patterson, Jerry Kill after the game, guys who all coached, you know, in, you know, at Pittsburgh State. So there's, you know, uh, there's that element as well. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of coaches, uh, you know, a lot of it's just luck where you get to and you're at the right place at the right time. You know, I'm, I really haven't gone after any job that I've, I've gotten. It's, you know, someone knew somebody and knew me or they saw something in me and I got, got fortunate to, to get the job. So it's, uh, sometimes just good luck, you know, but right. it's yeah. also, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm speaking at the national convention this year, and that's one thing I'm going to talk about: is be, be where your shoes are, and just you know, and understand the impact that, you know, my my college coach, a guy named Ron Randleman, and uh, you know, he's at Pittsburgh State. And then I, my, after I graduated, he went down to Sam Houston State, and I was down there with him at Sam Houston, and he was at the game, you know, uh, the other day. And I think he's come to nine of my games this year. He, you know, he's like a dad to me, but. You know, he's one of the greatest coaches I've ever been around. You know, I had him at Pittsburgh State, assistant for him at Sam Houston. And, uh, you know, we always, I've always felt every place I've been has been a special place. 
That'll do it for today. Thanks to producer George Howard for putting together today's show and to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to Kellis Robinette for sharing his insights. Morning Sports Edition had complete coverage of the college football title game, NFL playoff news, and everything else in sports. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.